Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Uh, So today, we are kind of doing something a little different, going off the beaten path here. A sip of something else is what I'm calling this series, because I've decided to be very clever. Um, So I'm welcoming on the show Jeff Fail. He is the spirits specialist for Bacchus Imports. He and I have worked together in a handful of different capacities over the years, which I am very grateful for. Jeff, thank you so much for coming in on a Sunday. Thanks for having me. So the idea behind this series is that there are a lot of different beverages that touch the beer world, and one of the most important, of course, being the spirits world. Um, Obviously, you see things like bourbon barrel-aged beers and tequila-aged beers. Um, But something that I think is not talked about enough is the beer world's obsession with tiki. Every single time I go to a beer conference or a beer event or anything, at the end of the night, I somehow always end up at a tiki bar, no matter what city I'm at. And I promise you, brewers from all over the U.S., Texas, um, Illinois, D.C., everybody is oddly obsessed with tiki drinks. Um, Rightfully so. Which is, yeah, no, yeah. I get it. It's, they're I mean, delicious. They're delicious, and I'm not upset about ending up at tiki bars no matter where I am, which is great. But it's this very, very weird obsession, similarly to the obsession that brewers have with uh, metal music, but we'll get into that on a different day. Also a good obsession. Also a good obsession. (laughs) But um, not only in tiki bars that they have this obsession, but in flavors. One of the most popular beer styles right now is a goza, Mm -hmm. Um, so sour beer, but often a fruited goza or fruited double hazy IPAs. Mm -hmm. And the fruits that people are using, I think, are being inspired by the Southern Hemisphere hops, are very tropical flavors. Um, But a lot of those flavors are also like pineapple, and they are using uh, bartender ketchup, a.k.a. passion fruit. (laughs) And they're just putting that shit in everything. This is true. So you've got passion fruit and beers, guava, pineapple, coconut, all these tiki flavors. So the tiki obsession is seeping into the flavor profiles as well as their late night escapades. So I figured (laughs) while we're taking a sip of something else, Mm -hmm. um, we need to talk about tiki. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's something that's been around for quite some time, obviously, in the States. Yes. Um, the U.S. obsession kind of, or U.S. obsession with the South Pacific uh, really started kind of hitting its stride in the 1920s. Um, you know, this was one of those things where the U.S. had just come out of, obviously, World War I. Um, people were looking for a little bit of an escapism. And obviously, the best place to escape reality is going to, you know, a sunny beach, crystal blue waters, you know, people probably running around in scantily clad 
outfits or mm-hmm. any outfit and you know so uh you know there, there was in la the, like the coconut grove was certainly sort of fascinating because it was you know south pacific theme but it was also sort of a black tie affair celebrities were always around you know before prohibition it was more of a martini style like elegant affair um that was kind of all wiped out simply because of a little thing called prohibition and yeah. uh Really put a damper on things for... Made it hard to get a drink, or at least a good drink. Yes. You know, you could probably find something that had a little formaldehyde in it, or some sort of horrific oils and <laughs> acid, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but Everyone wants to go blind occasionally. So. I mean, you know, sometimes you just don't want to see. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it really kind of inadvertently led to a little bit uh, of uh, a foundation for the uh, tiki, and that being rum. Uh, obviously, with the Caribbean right down, uh, right down the way from Florida, you know there was a lot of rum runners um, that would be able to just make it easy access. And rum certainly took a little bit of a foothold. It wasn't what we're used to today because obviously you would water it down a little bit. But people were more familiar with rum, which is obviously the base for tiki drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a gentleman named Ernest Gant that was a teenager during this time, and it was very in his later life was uh, flamboyant, um, mm-hmm. very uh, outgoing, and uh, he was very close with his grandfather, who happened to have a big yacht that sort of went through the Caribbean during this time frame, Okay, and uh, may have made trips back and forth, and in fact did, and uh, you know, Ernest definitely took an appreciation for rum, took an appreciation for those Jamaican spices took an appreciation for all the citrus that was available, more readily available, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of fell in love with that. Uh, made a little bit of money off of it as well. Eventually sort of got tired of the Caribbean and also went down to the South Pacific and uh, just sort of fell in love with that culture and just that idea of the escapism. And eventually his money ran out because, you know, towards the end of the 20s, there was that little thing also called the Great Depression. Mm, familiar. <laughs> familiar, yes. yes. And um, he, when he came back, you know, he just had to kind of do odds and ends jobs, settled in L.A. And uh, really just sort of kind of worked his way up. He was, did anything from busboy, dishwasher, was a valet. Uh, during the time of being a valet, he made connections with some of the Hollywood people. Um, they realized that he had all these little knickknacks from the South Pacific, so he worked his way up to like technical advisor in a lot of sort of low-budget movies, mm-hmm. um, and took that money. And eventually, around 1933, right when oddly enough prohibition ended, he sort of rolled right into a bar. And uh, some people may have heard of it as uh, Don's Beachcomber. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was able to take sort of his uh, old pseudonym for his bootlegging days and roll it into his own bar uh, right a block off of Hollywood Boulevard. And, um, you know, with his other connections, you know, people like Charlie Chaplin and Marlene Dietrich would always roll up in there. And there was a little tiny hole in the wall. But he was able to take those flavors that he was always familiar with, like the things that you touched on, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's passion fruit or pineapple, coconut and uh, roll it into these really kind of exotic, new-to-America drinks. Uh, and he was kind of the father of tiki, you know, just with the overall rum-based drinks, drinks the rum rhapsodies, as he called them. Uh, rum rhapsodies. Rum rhapsodies. I like that. Right? No, that's great. I know. Uh, you know, and he just, he, again, had a kind of a flair for the dramatic. Um, you know, a lot of people were just so enraptured by all these different flavors that he was 
just kind of blew up, you mm-hmm. know, and enough to where other people on the West Coast were, you know, obsessed by it. And, you know, uh, Ernest Gann eventually obviously became Don Beach and Don, Be- Don the Beachcomber. And he was just able to take those early teenage days down in the Caribbean, knew Jamaican rum extremely well, which mm-hmm. we all should be so fortunate, and just kind of ran with it. It was, it was great. But he had people, you know, uh, somebody that other people may have heard of, uh, Victor Bergeron, um, out of Oakland, uh, just, you know, down the way from L.A., and he was able to kind of start his own thing, a little tiny bar called Hinky Dinks, which mm-hmm. I also think is a great little name for a bar. But he And a metal band. Hinky Dinks. Man. I, <laughs> in, a, in an ironic way, maybe. I think, you know, that could be a good thing, you know? <laughs> All right, so he's got, he's got this bar. I'm sorry, I should have no business in any kind of metal commentary at all. I think, you, I think you've learned enough metal just through osmosis that yeah. you could probably, you know... Hold my own, maybe. I think knowing the people that uh, we are, we both call friends, I, I'm pretty sure we could. Yeah, we could okay, get you in there. We have to do we have to do a metal show about you know with with craft beer and metal for sure. Um, but anyway, so he's got yeah. this he's got this bar, Hinky Dinks. Yeah, so it, it was one of those things. Like, you know, it was it was successful, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he was not a person to rest on his laurels. And uh, word from LA had come down to Oakland that there was a spot that was you know just so hard to get into because everybody wanted it and the original uh, Don's the beachcomber spot was really tiny mm-hmm. uh, probably I think I read it was 13 by 30 feet or something like that oh, so wow. you know uh, the original one it eventually of course blew up but mm-hmm. uh, not literally but you know yeah. uh, in size and um, <laughs> there was uh, but uh, Victor really was wanting to sort of get into that game and eventually became one of those people that uh, would sort of wait outside and get in and try to really steal a lot of Don's secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Don knew this was a thing. And I know anybody in the tiki culture or anybody that has a cocktail book with any sort of tiki reference will always see something labeled uh, an ingredient Don's mix number four or something along those lines. Uh, Don was a very smart man, a very, uh, uh, a very uh, gifted entrepreneur. So he would always sort of batch things out, which is, seems to be the craziest days, and would just label it uh, with some mysterious you know, title on it so people couldn't come in and see what they were pouring in a bottle or into a glass. Mm. Um, but uh, Victor tried his best and um, eventually got some of those flavors down and uh, changed, uh, you know, Hinky Dinks, the, you know, R.I.P. Hinky Dinks, and <laughs> changed it into uh, Trader Vic's, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is, you know, still like one of the greatest names out there. Um, but they were both, uh, Vic was never really one to simply say that he would take all credit. He would always give Don the Beachcomber you know, some respect in his menus, and even though they still fight, a, well, they used to, they're not fighting anymore, maybe somewhere, I don't know, you know, Heaven's Tiki Bar, but... R.I.P. R.I.P. both, and uh, if I had some rum, I'd pour it on the table, mm-hmm. but... Um, this table's seen some rum, I'm, yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm sure, I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about making that happen, I, I, I like the holes in there, you yeah. should clean up. <laughs> uh, not so much for the carpet, but, you know, he... Um, you know, those two were somewhat friendly rivals uh, at times, but 
you know, they, they definitely fed off of each other and just capitalized off of it and blew up nationwide. It was, it was something to behold, for sure. I wish I had been around to see, you know, just how it quickly it expanded across the city or the states. So, you know, there was definitely a little bit of an obsession with Tiki, mm-hmm. I think, in, you know, like my parents' generation, mm-hmm. as far as that, you know, you'd go to a Chinese restaurant and you'd end up with like a blue drink with a giant, you know, piece of pineapple and things like that. I'm pretty sure Peking Gourmet still does oh, yeah. that Absolutely. in Falls Church, Virginia. Absolutely. Um, but now there is, a, you know, tiki but i think it's a little more refined and i think the flavors are a little more i mean what would you say i mean is this is yeah, this closer well, to what the original was or I, I think you know with of course in the spirits world there's always new ingredients there's always new flavors mm-hmm. and new interesting ways to get those flavors inside of liquid and i think that you know, you you still have you know painkillers out there, mai tais, and all those. Even though you can have different variations as far as how good they are, mm-hmm. you know, but you can you, you still get the base, and you still have those classics on there. Uh, but that being said, you know, you, there's modern classics like the Jungle Bird, and how that really is, you know, a modern classic. And it's, what makes that one a modern classic? Well, I, you know, it's basically. How many times a, a bartender from one city looks at a, a recipe book and sees like, oh, this, you know, this is probably going to be pretty cool, mm-hmm. and then puts it on their menu, and then another bartender in that city sees it, and it just kind of an organic sort of growth. You know, I think the best way to say that it's uh, the best form of flattery is trying to, uh, you know, repeat something that someone else has done, and bartenders are very, very notorious doing so uh in the best way because i'm certainly guilty of it you know yeah yeah oh i mean i think brewers are too as far as you know um kind of mimicking different styles and things like that and kind of playing around with new innovations um and for those of you just tuning in i am talking to jeff fail he is the spirit specialist uh for bacchus importers and we are talking about tiki um, because of the craft beer world obsession with tiki, both flavors as well as enjoying copious amounts of tiki drinks during <laughs> beer conferences. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of the base. Like, let's say you were at home mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, and you're trying to kind of think of, all right, I'm going to make a tiki drink. Sure. What are the main components of a tiki drink? What are, what are, what are the big pillars that you have to think about? I mean, obviously rum. Okay. Uh, you know, there's, uh, and it's just kind of a misconception that rum is sort of this blanket statement for a sweet liquor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you have a very solid rum, that is certainly not the case. Uh, there are some really fantastic sipping rums out there that will turn your misconceived notions of what rum is on its head. Because rum... Rum has become one of my top three spirits at the moment, just because of how how delicious and how complex these flavors are. Uh, the different islands, obviously, just you know, not necessarily, necessarily terroir, but mm-hmm. you know, you can definitely tell a Jamaican rum from something from Barbados, and um, obviously, if you want to break in agricole rum uh, style in this, that those are definitely a whole other beast. But you know, being able to have an understanding of rum and understand how those flavors will impact, you know, the other ingredients, whether, um, 
you know, you were talking about what other kind of flavors are in there. You know, you obviously have to have citrus in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be traditionally some sort of uh, fruit, whether it's an orange liqueur, pineapple, coconut. Um, spice is always thrown in there. You know, nutmeg is rampant in tiki drinks or yeah. falernum or anything along those lines. Um, those are all going to be strong components of what makes a tiki drink. And um, it's really it's really difficult to to make it bad, you know. But yeah. people find a way. People really do find people a way. Find so a way. you're starting with rum, and I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of the different recipes. You mm-hmm. know, you're blending different rums, right, to yes. kind of get different kinds of flavors mm-hmm. and and components there. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so there's certain producers out there that are definitely blending them themselves, you know, so it kind of takes out the, the work of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jamaican rums typically have a little bit of a, a funk to them, a little bit more body to them, uh, and that body can really overpower, you know, uh, just some of the more uh, lighter, souring agents out there, you know, lime or lemon or whatever you f- you're messing around with. But caught myself on that one. I almost dropped an F-bomb. But you can drop f bombs. I know, but we're I, a podcast. I know, but I'm I'm the oh you're the spirit specialist, the spirit for, Bacchus specialist for Bacchus that Importers that doesn't curse on public I, podcasts. I, why would I do such a thing? That's fair, obviously. Right. But you know, so when people, <laughs> I mean, fuck, man, you know. <laughs> I know. I just got to get the shit out of there. Right? So, <laughs> um, so, so when people are, you know trying to deal with that you know obviously like if you're messing around with a an aged Jamaican rum mm-hmm. like that's going to be too overpowering but you still want a little bit of that funk to it so you blend it down with a little bit of a lighter style from you know one of the you know whether it's Cuban or you know Puerto Rican or something you know anything yeah. on the lighter side you know you kind of temper the funkiness down and you just kind of work with it from there I also think there are some kind of pillars of tiki, and like I said, I am mm-hmm. only a tiki expert in the sense of consumption, um, I, <laughs> and that's not a, that's a great thing to be an expert. Not in. that I'm, I'm not an expert, <laughs> um, but you know, I feel like there are different kind of pillars that you look at flavor profile. I mean, you have the classic kind of like pina colada, like mm-hmm. coconut, pineapple kind of thing, but then you've also got the more um, exciting, like passion fruit ones. Sure, sure. And then there's the the part of tiki that always kind of throws me is when you've got like the banana cinnamon <laughs> tiki side. Because sure. like I hate banana, but I've had, don't make that, that face. You. Don't make that face. I didn't know. Bananas are so good. No, I like the and flavor. No. Okay. I just, I mean like. You don't like, you don't like. Straight up banana, the sure. texture. Rough, okay, okay. Right, rough okay. stuff. Yes. But flavor is fine, but like that. There is that kind of uh, tiki flavor profile of, like, banana, cinnamon. Yeah, but again, it's, you know, that's what tiki is. It's all, you know, you're not going to be able to walk out onto the street and see a banana tree, you know, wherever you're at in the States, and, you know, be able to pull one off and throw it into... Unless you're in Florida. Unless you're in Florida. (laughs) But, you know, and I guess it's with... uh, you know, modern day trade the way it is. I guess you can just run down to the store and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, pick one off the the random market, you know, tree, as it were. But yeah, three for a dollar. Three for a dollar, you know. Like and unless it's organic, then it's, you know, one for three dollars. Yes. And then <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have um, 
you know, but back then when Tiki really first got his foothold in the base of Tiki, like these are all things that people just weren't used to having readily available to them. So mm-hmm. you would, you know, and that, that right there, I think is kind of like the motif of what Tiki is, is just getting, you know, the quote unquote ex- exotic flavors into people and just letting them experience something, you know, that they only associate with a, a Pacific Island or the Caribbean islands. And, you know, again, Tiki, started off as escapism you know you you would walk into don the beachcombers and and you know you know have all the artifacts and all the relics and you know tiki statues and you know whatever nautical symbols all over the place you know and you you know you weren't you weren't worried about what was going on on block down on hollywood boulevard you know or you know you weren't worried about what was going on in the bay area if you were at trader vicks and you know that sort of the flavors the atmosphere it's all about escapism, you know, and you would think that, you know, it, it just sort of, it, it kind of ran rampant through the States and those people just, you know, they were obsessed. Yeah. That's a good thing. I mean, I guess it makes sense, you know, with these flavors kind of coming into beer, I could see it as like escapism. Like mm-hmm. if you look at a beer can, that's kind of like tiki themed and then you pour in that glass and it's like, you know, vibrant guava color yeah. or like vibrant. And you're like, wow, this is so different from other beer things that I know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it definitely kind of like shifts your expectations and all of a sudden you're on this adventure. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, uh, like Anderson Valley with some of their gozes that they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you see what you, you see what the flavors are, but you, you know, when you pour them into a glass, you don't expect to yeah. see a bright red beer. No, I, I mean, mean, it makes total sense because the oh, Vale Brewing Company out of yeah. Richmond, they play a lot with a lot of different really fun flavors. And, you know, I think I've definitely had one of their passion fruit double IPAs or, or mm-hmm. something like that, but it's like this vibrant passion fruit color. Yeah. And you, it's a shock to the system for sure. Right. But, I mean, you don't think about it. It's just, wow. It's, you know, and, like, you're not even thinking that you're obviously enjoying a beer at that mm-hmm. particular moment. But your mind, at least my mind, and, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to deconstruct things because I'm a geek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're looking at this beer and you're wondering, like, wow, what, what is actually in this? Like, I, I saw the label. I saw what flavors are there. But yeah. what is actually in there? And I think, again, if I was, if I was around in, you know, the 1930s and 40s, you know, fortunately not in the forties because I would have probably have been in Pearl Harbor or whatever. And, but you know, I don't want, you know, I you took it to a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> it's the metal side of me. There it um, is. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, that that's what I would be doing. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people were again, because you're trying something new. It was the first time you, you know, like because Chinese food is so integral, at least, you know, westernized Chinese food are so integral into, you know, tiki restaurants or tiki bars, you know, you're inevitably going to get some sort of noodle dish or something along those lines that have been bastardized, you know, into what we think Chinese food is, you know, like, of course, you're sitting there like, what, what flavor is this? What am I tasting at this particular moment? Like, I know, you know, in the 1930s, how many people out there were familiar with bananas? And I, I mean, that's a general question. I have no idea, like, how no, prevalent I, they were, you know, yeah. or I, you know, I barely know what guava is, you know, and this is mm-hmm. 2020, you know, so it is a fruit. It is a fruit, you yeah. know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, like if, if there was a guava tree that I'm, you know, sitting right in, out in front of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the hotel, like I'm, I'm sure I would figure it out because it obviously it's, you know, it would be prevalent in this area, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, 
I think that people back then just certainly weren't and were just fascinated by it. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I still think there's like a little fascination. So, um, you know, one of my personal favorite places in D.C. here is Archipelago. Without a doubt. You are also a big fan. Huge fan. Um, I like to also call it the Collection of Small Islands Bar. Um, <laughs> I, I, I call it the Island of Misfit Toys. You know, yeah. that's more of a reference to the owners. So, <laughs> Well, so I think they really do a fantastic job of representing Tiki really well. Mm-hmm. Because it's all they do. Yes. Right? They're yes. fully focused on producing tiki beverages. 100%. And they've really gone all in. Like, mm-hmm. the decor is really smart. You've got, like, all the kind of classic, uh, really fun um, drinking vessels, mm-hmm. all the, the glasses that they've sourced. The shrine to Magnum P.I. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they've, but, you know, and all the little garnishes, everything is very, 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 very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the flavors are really on point. Because they've just, they've fully dedicated to this one cocktail genre. Absolutely. just nail it. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I fully admit my bias in there. You know, the, the owners are friends of mine, mm-hmm. and I think the world of them. But they are, despite, you know, you have this, a lot of people have a misconception of tiki. It's just, it, for the consumer, it is a way to be relaxed and just kind of lackadaisical about things. And I, I think that, you know, the owners over there are just, they're the complete opposite of it. You know, they are some of the smarter people I've met, uh, most of them, one mm-hmm. of them. Uh, and <laughs> but playing with those flavors, like, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. You've got, you've got flavors that can overpower. You've got to figure out how to blend them properly. You know, you've got to have complexity. This is like, mm-hmm. you know, you just chuck passion fruit and everything. That's not... No, no, but I mean, a lot of people on the tiki side of things are just really fascinated by those flavors. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and all joking aside about the owners, you know, they all come from these really professional backgrounds, you know, whether uh, it is working for chefs like Jose Andres, you know, and uh, and others out there. But I mean, they know what flavors are working and they have exceptional palates and far more knowledge than, you know, than myself on the subject, you know, Mm -hmm. they... Um, and just talking to them, you know, on and off the record, they're, they're just, they're nerds, whether they want to admit it or not, yeah. you know, and, and they, they didn't go into it to, in, in a lighthearted fashion. Mm-hmm. And I think that that shows like, you know, like we're both waxing poetic about Archipelago and there's a yeah. reason for it, you know, and it, it does go into their, in, into their passion for it. For sure. For sure. So I think, you know, for people in the D.C. area, if you want to experience a really, really good example of what tiki should be, mm-hmm. I think Archipelago is a great example of that. For Hands sure. down. Hands down. Um, are there any other places that you would recommend? You know, uh, you know there's, uh, I say it as, a, as somebody else, as a, a friend of mine, you know, Thrasher's Rum, the uh, TNT down on the wharf. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, a little bit more, it's not the classic um, tiki bar, but you'll get a lot of those flavors. It's just a little bit of an escapism sort mm-hmm. of uh, way there. And then outside of that, you know, uh, Tiki on 18th is something that's starting to come up. Uh, I've personally not had a chance to go in there, but I've been hearing great things about it. Um, is there is there a good book you would recommend for people if they wanted to kind of dip their toes in that Tiki world? I mean, you can get the... Trader Vic's cookbook. Or Trader Vic's cookbook is, yeah. is out there, um, and it, it really kind of depends on what you're looking for. If it's more of a history to it, um, 
you know there there's numerous books on, out there whether you're looking at uh, um, the, even the biography on Trader Vic or Don the Beachcomber there's a few out there uh, Smuggler's Cove the bar in San Francisco has an amazing book with recipes history uh, all thrown in there um, there's uh, a couple of different books on rum in general that will always inevitably focus on uh, tiki culture yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. And I think as far as beer goes, like I mentioned, the Vale, they have some fun with some really great kind of tiki flavors. Um, Jester King occasionally releases things mm. where they've kind of like played around with some tiki flavors. I think if you want um, an inexpensive uh, dip your toe into the tiki beer water, it would be Lilikoi Capolo by Avery Brewing Company out of Boulder. Um, that used to be a limited release beer, but it was a wit beer brewed with passion fruit. And now I think it's year round. Um, so you can find that. I think that's at the, the beer cellar on H street right now. Um, but there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different brewers kind of playing around with those tiki flavors for sure. That's really cool. Like I didn't, you know, I, until you approached me about doing this podcast, I mm-hmm. never really thought so much about it. I mean, obviously I've seen. Uh, a lot of uh, brewers around end up at tiki yeah. bars, yes. and I never really put two and two together, you know, which may speak, you know, more towards me than anything else. But it's true, like I, you know, now that you mentioned, it, it's like you know, I've never seen anybody really, you know, I've never seen anybody drive this car, and then you start thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then that's the only car you see on the road because you're focused on it. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm seeing now. Just kind of after you threw that out there, there is a lot of beer out there. There is a lot of I mean, beer well, out I've, there. With tiki flavors, I should say. Yeah. should probably clarify that statement. <laughs> there is one or two beers out there. There are one or two beers out there. <laughs> and yeah, they're definitely having some fun with tiki flavors. I recently had a, um, a porter, um, or no, it was a whip beer. I don't know. Yeah, it was a whip beer. With, mm-hmm. uh, it was brewed with coconut. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I was just like... It didn't never, make sense to me, but it tasted really good, so I'm not going to question that. I've never seen like that that flavor profile go together. I've always seen like stouts and porters, sort of with their coconut mm-hmm. flavor aspect to it. But no, yeah. this was yeah. a this was a wow. wheat beer, yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's a brewery that's based in Miami, so okay. that's they can get away with it, you know. <laughs> sure. So you've got coconut and everything. I mean, you're basically just drinking sunscreen the entire time you're there. So you know, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming in and talking about Tiki. You definitely know a lot more than I ever imagined to know about Tiki. I, you know, it's, it's, it's my job. It's your job. It's my job. It's your job. It's my to job. To know about Tiki spirits and not curse on public radio. Eh, fuck that. <laughs> well, thank you again. <laughs> um, definitely uh, check out beers brewed with tiki flavors and definitely check out archipelago in washington dc 100 percent um because it is definitely definitely worth the trip um and uh check out beer me on anywhere you get a podcast thank you all for listening we'll see you next week this has been beer me on full service radio recorded live at the line hotel in adams morgan washington dc